million. I think you probably know I'm talking about New England's finest ice cream partnership, Ben and Jerry, right? Anyone, anyone appreciate some Ben and Jerry's ice cream? Can I, get a, can I get an amen out there? Yeah. I know you're thinking like, Tanner, why are you talking about this after Thanksgiving? Don't you know I already ate too much and now you're talking about this ice cream that we love? What's up with that? Well, I want us to think about partnership, right? These guys went into partnership from, from a relationship that was formed in the seventh grade all the way to their adult years. And to this day, they have been in partnership. Now, that was a great partnership, right? Not only for the great financial gain, but also, of course, for the wonderful ice cream that we all have probably enjoyed at one point or another. But I want us to think about this morning about a much greater partnership, okay? There's, there's Ben and Jerry looking good, eating their ice cream. Um, yeah, go, go get some at the grocery store after, after service, all right? Um, but but let's, let's think about a much greater partnership, a, a partnership that yields greater reward and greater fulfillment and satisfaction, and that would be the partnership that we find in the gospel through Jesus Christ. You see, Paul is going to, to, to pray a prayer for the Philippians that we're going to see in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1. And this prayer is going to be grounded, actually going to be motivated by the partnership that they enjoyed in the gospel. Now, sometimes when we see this word partnership in the Bible, it's, it's translated as the word fellowship. And for, fellowship is kind of this churchy word that if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard people or, or use this language yourself. Fellowship, it's a word we find in the Bible. And most of the time, what we mean by fellowship is simply a warm friendship, some level of intimacy that's shared between two people. And it's certainly not less than that, but it is also more than that, Okay. You see, partnership in the New Testament had commercial overtones, all right? When, when people entered into partnership together, they were, they were saying, okay, we are in this venture together with a shared sense of mission. And this is why D.A. Carson defines partnership or fellowship in this way. He says this, the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Okay, don't miss that. You might want to write this down. Okay, it's self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. And then he goes on, he says, Christian fellowship then is self-sacrificing conformity to the gospel. There may be overtones of warmth and intimacy, but the heart of the matter is this shared vision of what is of transcendent importance. A vision that calls forth our commitment. And so when we look at this prayer in Paul, and in Philippians chapter 1, what we're going to see is that his prayer was, was really driven by the partnership that he enjoyed with these people. 
And I hope this morning as a church, I mean, why, you know, why did we, we're in between series here. We'll start a Christmas series next week. But, but why did I choose this text? Because number one, I know if you're like me, you could use a, a, a boost in your prayer life probably, an encouragement in your prayer life. But, but how do we learn to pray except by looking at the scriptures and finding about who God is and who he desires for us to be and even how he would want us to pray. And so one of the great ways you can learn to pray is simply by taking Taking these prayers in the Bible and praying them yourself and letting them serve as a guide for your prayers. So this morning, we're going to look at a prayer for the church, a way to pray for one another as believers in Christ. And so I want to read the first 11 verses for us as we dive in to Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that this prayer would guide our prayers, not just in a general sense, but but in a specific way as we seek to pray for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So Father, even now as we open your word, Lord, we pray that you would give us humble hearts to receive what you have spoken to us in your word and what your spirit wants to teach us today, that we might live in accordance with what we find here. Lord, would you transform our prayer lives day by day, that we would have the heart of Paul as he has the heart of Christ to love one another and to be so grateful for this partnership that we share in the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in these opening verses, Paul is writing from a Roman prison, and he is writing to a people that he loved dearly. And we're going to see this come out. If we had time to study the whole book of Philippians, we would see how that the, the Philippians were caring for Paul, that they were sending people to Paul to check up on him, to give him financial support, to meet his physical needs while he, while he was in a Roman prison. 
And so it's this, this tone of love and, and thanksgiving that Paul begins this letter and he talks about how he is praying for them and their partnership in the gospel. And so in light of Paul's word, I want to give us just one primary encouragement this morning, and that is to express gratitude to God for the partnership we share with other believers. Express gratitude to God for the partnership that we share with other believers. Now, I want to give you three truths as we work our way through this text. And the first one is this. We should thank God for the partnership that we share in the gospel. Simple as that. We should thank God for the partnership we share in the gospel. Um, First, we see in these verses that true partnership is found only in Christ. All right? True partnership is found only in Christ. Paul begins his letter in the greeting, and it says that he is writing to all the saints who were at Philippi. Now, the word saints and, saint in biblical term does not refer to a, a group, an elite group of super Christians, okay? The word saint just refers to all Christians, people who have been set apart by the gospel, by, by God's salvation, and now they belong to him. These are saints. They are recipients of, as he says in his greeting, grace, the undeserved favor of God, and what results from grace, peace, And that is what brings spiritual rest and flourishing as we seek to live our lives for God. Now, now don't miss this. All of this comes, as he says, in Christ. This this phrase, in Christ, can sum up the whole entirety of our Christian life. Paul will use it over 80 times in his 13 letters. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We are who we are because we are in Christ. And so when two people share Christ in common, I want you to consider this. They fundamentally, at, at this essential level, share all things in common. This is an amazing truth for us to consider. You remember Carson's definition, this this shared vision of the transcendent power of Christ in the gospel. This is what binds us together. And so I love Paul here. I mean, think about this. Was Paul a Philippian? Shake your head no. Paul wasn't a Philippian. Paul was a Jew, right? So Paul didn't grow up in in their neighborhood. He didn't share their same ethnicity. Most of the Philippians probably didn't have the kind of educational opportunities that Paul had. But did any of that matter to Paul? No, because they were one in Christ. So even as we think about the events in our our country this, this week, you know, over the last few months, our nation has been focused on the events in Ferguson, and particularly over this, this past week, as, as the, the, the uh, announcement came down of no indictment for Officer Wilson, and, and so we've, we've hopefully at minimum, whatever you make of, of the story and the evidence and the rioting and, and everything else, I hope you're praying for the people of Ferguson, but, but whatever you make of all the evidence, hopefully at minimum, as a believer, what we would do is at least look into the mirror of our lives, look deep within our hearts, and say, you know what, is there anything in my life that would still uh, lead me to possibly judge a book by its cover? 
I think if we're being honest, as much as, as hopefully we're maturing in Christ, we would still say, man, we have to fight against that. And maybe for you it has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Maybe it has to do with, with income levels. Maybe it has to do with, with, with someone who doesn't have a PhD and you have your PhD and so you're kind of, you know, not as, as prone to befriend someone who maybe doesn't even have their GED. I mean, is, do we ever wrestle with this as, as just human beings? Absolutely. And so what I love about the gospel is the gospel takes two people and he makes one man out of the two. And so you can look around the room here this morning. One of the things that I love about Redemption Church is that God has brought together a diverse group of people from our community. And our prayer is that we would just grow more and more and more diverse across the board, however you want to define diversity, because this is what the gospel does. It brings people together. And so our gratitude to God begins with what he has done for us in Christ. Let me just ask you a question. As you evaluate your prayer life, how often do you simply thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is that, is that something that as you, as you think about your, 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 your friends, maybe in this church or even outside of this church, in the church universal, are, are you just prone to saying, God, thank you for giving me a friend like that who loves you and points me to you? That's a question of frequency, and it's a good question, one that we should evaluate. But I don't only want us to think about frequency. I want us to also think about what characterizes our praying for one another. Because I love Paul here in verse 4. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with what? With what? Joy. Can I get that a little louder? With what? All right, that's a little better. Thank you, Redemption. So with joy, all right, true partnership is characterized by by joy. When we pray for one another, we should have some joy in our hearts. So, so picture this. God is Father, right? So like little children who go to bend the ear of their Father, we should go with confidence and expectation and joy. I can tell you, when I hear my children say, Daddy, and when they're like three and five, you hear that word a lot, okay, just a whole lot. But, but when, when I hear that word, man, I, I'm always quick to listen because I love them. And this is how God is with us. I mean, we can have joy in our prayers because God has joy in his heart when we come to him. How good is that? And so joy should, should characterize our prayers. Um, do, you, do you ever pray with a smile on your face? Think about that. I mean, when you, when you come to God, is there ever an expression of, of joy and gladness and delight? I mean, usually, usually what's in the heart will kind of come out in even our physical uh, uh, distinctives and appearance. 
And you say, well, Tanner, God is holy and we should be reverent and we should be serious and we should be earnest. And I want to say, absolutely. And even more, there should be times when we go to God and we're with tears rolling down our face. We are pouring out our hearts before him, perhaps in light of our own sin or perhaps because we want to see him do great things uh, around us. But there should also not only be seriousness and earnestness and urgency, but there should also be delight and gladness and joy before him. This is why Christ came. This news of salvation that we celebrate during the Advent season, uh, we, we see that the angels, as they spoke to the shepherds, what do they say in Luke 2, verse 10? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. Jesus came to bring us joy, so we should pray with great joy when we go to God in prayer. So I would just say this, if, if our prayers are rarely characterized by joy, we might just be praying prayerless prayers. Think about that. If we rarely have joy when we go to God, we should ask if our prayers are really, I mean, what is prayers communion with God? Prayer is not empty words, Right? Prayer is going to God because he loves us and we love him. And he wants to act on behalf of his own glory. So Paul was, was, was comprehensively joyful all over the Philippians. Did you notice he says, uh, in making uh, my prayer for you all with joy. And why is this, Paul? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. Okay, Paul could rejoice. Because the gospel had taken root in their hearts and the gospel was transforming their lives day by day, week by week, month by month. Paul says from, from the first day until now. And we could go back to Acts 16 and look at how Paul went into Philippi and he preached the gospel and this lady named Lydia came to faith in Christ. And then Paul and his buddy Silas, they were in prison for preaching the gospel. And, and he led the Philippian jailer and then his family to Christ. And so from those first days, even to now, even in Paul's imprisonment, they are caring for him. And he has great delight because the gospel is transforming their lives. And the confidence comes not in the Philippians, but in the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 6. One of my favorite verses in the Bible says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Do you see where this confidence comes from as we pray for one another? Man, I'm, I'm praying for for, for Larissa and for Seth and for Denham and for Henry. And, 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 and I'm praying that God would work in their life in such a way, not because these four people are great or have this power in and of themselves to live a great life for God, but because of the faithfulness of God that he who begins a good work in us is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. That's referring to the moment we receive Jesus, which everyone must do that in their life if they're to enjoy what God wants to give us, both life now and life everlasting, okay? That's what we call the rebirth, regeneration in theological terms, all right? We have to be born again, Jesus says in John 3. And so from the moment we're born again, 
all the way until the day we meet Christ. It is the faithfulness of God that is at work in our lives to bring us to that day. If you want some confidence in your prayers, don't look at yourself. Do not look at one another. Look at the faithfulness of God and let him infuse your prayers with confidence. You see, it was their partnership in the gospel, their shared sense of mission that drove Paul to pray with thanksgiving in his heart. And what do we, what do we learn about the church from Paul here? Okay, I hope you're ready for this. Uh, we, we are not a social club, all right? This, this group of people that gather here on, on Sunday, like, we're not just a group of people who, who try to live nice and kind lives. That's really, that's really not, I mean, it's a byproduct of God's, but, that, but that's, we, we are bound together, cemented together by a sense of the mission of God that he has given us through Jesus. And so in our prayers for one another, we should thank God for our partnership in the gospel. But what should move us to pray? We find that answer in verses 7 and 8. Look at, look at these verses with me. He says this, um, It is right for me to feel this way about you. Why, Paul? Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all, all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. I want us to think about how love should be the driving force of our partnership. What's going to move you to pray? It better be love, this love that God is cultivating in our hearts. So, so number one, that's the first thing I want you to see. Our affection springs from the heart. Paul says, I hold you in my heart. And I know some of you are thinking, you know, Tanner, that's great for Paul. But you know what? As I, as I think about people around me, people in my workplace, and even sometimes people in our church, you know, sometimes people are more on my nerves than they are in my heart, right? Anybody feel that? Like, yeah, I see you smirking out there. Yeah, I know it is. And, and so what are, we, what are we to do with that? Sure, there are going to be times when we get on each other's nerves. Sure, there are going to be times when we don't see things eye to eye. So, so what do we do about that? Listen, I think if we would remember... That, that Jesus shed his blood for, for this brother or this sister. I mean, is there, is there any way we can justify restraining our love when that is the case? Absolutely not, right? So, so I just, I want, I want to be... I want to be straight up here. I mean, it was the shared experiences that Paul enjoyed with the Philippians that built up this, this feeling, this affection, this gratitude, right? And so I want you to think about this. We live in a culture where the norm, the, the, the normal attitude is, I am going to commit to whatever it is that I want to commit to. And it's just like, if it's, if it's good for me, then I'm going to do it, but, but I'm not going to consider 
the consequences for other people around me. And this is, by the way, what leads people to hop from one church to another to another. And so what I want to say is this. What would happen if, if we would really choose to just stick together, to be in this thing together for the next three, four, seven, 30 years, whatever it may be, and, and, and just watch our love for God go through the roof and our love for one another go through the roof because we are allowing God to cultivate this affection for one another in our partnership in the gospel. I mean, is, is anybody ready for that? Ready is, who else? I mean, hey, in the words of a true pastor, right? I'm down, you know what I'm saying? Like, I am in this thing, and I hope you're in this thing with me because we want to see God do a great work in the lives of one another and and then be a witness to this city to see other people find the treasure that is in Christ. So our affection springs from the heart. It, It is built on consistent trust. And then also our affection is defined by Christ. I mean, verse 8, it, it rocks me. He says, God is my witness. In other words, it's like he's saying, God knows how much I love you. And why would Paul say that? I think it's just to raise the stakes a bit. I mean, to, to show them the urgency with which this is true, that he really loves them. God knows how much I love you, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I mean, there was a great desire in Paul's heart for these people. So much so that he can say, I yearn for you. I desire God's good work in you with what? With the affection of Christ Jesus. Now that one should just cause you to pause and kind of stop in your tracks just a little bit. Because we are called to love people as Christ has loved us. This is what Jesus commanded in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love each other as I have loved you. So how many of us can say that we are consistently loving others with the love of Christ? This Christmas season, this Advent season, I want to challenge you to get to know Christ in such a way that what you see in Him becomes a prayer that you would love like he loves. So when you see his humble love, his holy love, his good love, his compassionate love, his just love, when you see all of this come together in him, would you just pray, God, would you, would you make me like that? When you see his patient love in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law. And he's not come back yet because God is patient with us. He is, he's not slow in keeping his promise, but he is patient because he's giving us time to turn back to him and, and live our lives for him. And so I know this is a great standard. There is no greater standard that we could ever have in our lives than to say we are to love like Jesus. You say, well, Tanner, how do, how do we grow in that? How can, I, how can I grow in that? And I would say, immerse yourself in the person of Christ. Get to know Christ. If you caught the newsletter, and as John referred to when we lit this Advent candle, as pastors, we thought it would be great to challenge everyone in our church to read through a daily devotional together. So we, we emailed out a link 
to this daily Advent readings called Good News of Great Joy. If you are not kind of technologically savvy or, or have, have access to, to maybe internet or whatever, then you can pick up a physical copy on your way out on the welcome table. And what we want to do is we want to dive in daily to the realities of Christmas and what God has done for us in Christ when he sent the eternal son of God into time and space and he took on human flesh that he might be our savior. And so I hope that you will take that challenge to to, to grow in our knowledge of Jesus so that we might grow in our love for one another. And and here's here's the beautiful thing, all right? We don't have to manufacture this. It doesn't come from the sweat of our brow. It comes because God is at work in us. It is the affection of Christ. He is the source. So as we daily submit our lives to God and we receive of his overflowing love, then his love pours out through us. Let love be the driving force of your partnership in the gospel. And then finally, number three, pray for a deep work of God in the lives of others. And as we, as we study these verses, here we get into Paul's really, the, the, the prayer proper, if you will. This is really where he is articulating a prayer for the Philippians. Before he was describing his prayer life and how he thanks God for them, but now in verses 9 through 11, he actually prays a prayer for them. And this is what he says. And he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So let's, let's break this down, all right? As, as I shared, if you want to grow in your prayer life, how about this week? Just take verses 9 through 11 and pray it for someone. Choose one or two people in your community group or, or in your family or in this church and just take verses 9 through 11 and you can just pray them verbatim. God, I pray that their love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that they may approve what is excellent and go on down through the prayer. You can also use it as a guide. So, God, I pray that their love would abound. What kind of love? Well, their love for their family, their, their love for their coworkers, their, their love for the friends around them. You see, we can use it as a guide, a launching point to pray uh, different kinds of prayers for people. And so let's break this prayer down together. He starts by praying, again, that their love would abound more and more. I I love this, okay? Paul is not interested in just a tiny dose of love. He says he wants their love to abound. So this is abounding love, but it's not just abounding love, but he wants this abounding love to, to grow more and more. And if Paul had a little more ink in his pen. He probably just kept going and more and more and more. But it's not just any love. It's, it's love with knowledge and all discernment. Okay, so, so as some people have said, love without truth is sentimentality. It's just warm and fuzzy feelings, but it has no substance. 
Paul wants their love to grow in the knowledge of God in all discernment. Uh, some translations say depth of insight or breadth of insight. In other words, that, that they have the ability to, to navigate through the array of life's challenges and difficulties and circumstances and live their life to the glory of God. And so that's why he goes on, he says, the purpose of their love abounding in knowledge and in all discernment is so that they may approve what is excellent. Now, let's just, let's just think about this for a moment. We all are faced with hundreds of decisions every single week, right? I mean, you made a decision, you made a, you've already made a lot of decisions this morning, Right? And so we're constantly making decisions. And so Paul wants them to be able to approve what is excellent. And that does not only mean approving or distinguishing between right and wrong, but it also involves distinguishing between what is good and what is best. And so D.A. Carson, commenting on these verses, says this. Paul's thought is that there are countless decisions in life where it is not a question of making a straightforward decision between right and wrong, what you need is the extraordinary discernment that helps you perceive how things differ and then make the best possible choice. This is what Paul means by choosing what is best. So we need this discernment to distinguish between what is good and what is best, what is excellent in every area of our life. If you have a decision coming up in any kind of way, you need to be praying that your love would abound in, in more and more in all uh, knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Do you know what to prioritize? Do you know how to spend your time? Do you know how to manage your money? Huh? Anybody been with us at Redemption over the past month? We've been talking about giving, saving, spending, right? In that order, giving, saving, spending, and something. God, give me some discernment so that I might approve what is excellent to know if I need, really needed that deal on Black Friday or if I could, you know, give that, that 50 that I saved here and maybe give half of that to your work, right? Sorry, I went there. You know, I had to review that sermon series, and, and so that's just the way it is. I mean, how we divide our time, what we read. I mean, it's good to have some leisure reading. There's nothing wrong with, with, with reading, you know, non-Christian material or things outside of the Bible by all means. But, but, but how, do you, how do you make decisions on what you read? Like, is there any thought process in that? Is there any intentionality, any planning that goes into that? Any distinguishing between what is good and what is best? 50% sell over here, by the way, on our resource table. It's a Christmas sell. So these are some good books. We've already distinguished that for you. Hey there, there you go. We need this in every area of life. And you say, man, Tanner, I, I, I appreciate you being straightforward and honest, but, but it's kind of discouraging because I can look back at my life and I can see that I have not done a great job at distinguishing between right and wrong and what is good from what is best. And so even right now, perhaps there are feelings of guilt that are rising up in your heart and you're going to be motivated this week to, 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 to choose wisely, to do differently out of this sense of guilt. And even this passage right here would say that is not the motivator that God wants us to have. 
God does not want us to be moved by guilt. He wants us to be moved by love. That your love would abound more and more in all knowledge and discernment so that you may prove what is excellent. That is the great motive. The motivator that God wants us to live with is love, not guilt. His love for us, driving our love for him and one another. And and what, what happens when this happens? What happens when we begin to discern and distinguish what is excellent? It says that that the, the hope is that we would then be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So what Paul is getting at here is this. He's saying we should live as Christians in joyful anticipation of the very end when we will be with Christ forever. This is not a a fearful expectation of judgment, although we should have a proper fear in our our heart of that day because we love and respect God and we don't want to dishonor Him in any way, but but it's more of of a motivator to say, one day this is coming. And we're going to be like him. We're going to see him as he is. And we're going to be like him, 1 John 3, 3. And and so what we want to do then is live today in light of that day. Today we want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, that which characterizes God, that God would say, yes, that thought was good. Yes, that action was right. Yes, that motive was pure. And so we live today with that day in our minds and when we do that, it says, Paul, Paul would say, we're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. Again, God is the source of this great work in us. And that is why he can finish his prayer and he can say that it is all what? To the praise and glory of God. Verse 11 ends and it says, to the glory and praise of God. Of God. So let me just say this, all right? And this one may not feel too good, but, but let me just say this. If you seek self glory, if you seek glory for yourself, you are an imposter. If you seek your, your own glory and fame, if you're seeking to make a name for yourself above God's name, then, then, then you are an imposter. In other words, you are living a life that is simply untrue because everything in our lives, for the believer, for the unbeliever, it all comes from him. We have nothing apart from God. We don't have our next breath if it's not God's grace in giving it to us. And listen, I know this is hard for Bostonians to hear, right? I mean, we are, we are among, okay? Some of you are among the most intellectually elite in the world, okay? I'm not putting myself in that camp. I'm just saying some of you are in that camp. And then others of you, if you're not in that intellectually elite camp, you're in that really uh, elite group of hardworking people, right? Boston is, a, is a, a city filled with hard workers that we know how to get things done, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And I'm just saying, man, if we think that we are who we are because of our intellect or because of our hard work, and, and then, then perhaps we are stealing from God's glory. There can be Within, within our hearts, this, this God-denying pride that says, you know what, man? I, I, th- this is happening in my life because I'm so smart. I work so hard. I, I made the right decisions. And what God wants us to recognize is that all of this is coming as a gift of his grace. 
And so is this the end of your prayers? Is this what, is this what your goal is when you pray? What if I told you that you were not the primary aim of my prayers for you? Would that make you glad? Did you catch that? What if I told you that you were not the primary aim of my prayers for you? That when Tanner is praying for this church, and I do pray for this church, and I pray for you individually, when I'm praying for you individually, what if, what if you weren't the most important thing? Would you be glad? Would you, would you say yes? Would you delight in that? Because you are not the ultimate aim of my prayers. God is the ultimate aim. God's glory. And I pray that he would do great things in each of your lives so that your tiny little life can result in maximum praise to him. And so what I love about Paul's prayer here as we bring our time to a close. What I love about Paul's prayer here is that Paul is not content with surface level prayers. He wants them to abound. He wants this to to happen in their life more and more. He wants them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So this is a prayer for a deep, deep work of God in the lives of one another. Consider this as we think about the coming of Christ and his ultimate death on the cross. There can be no room for mediocrity in our prayers because there is no room for mediocrity among followers of a Savior savior who drenched a Roman cross with his blood that we may have life. There's no room for mediocrity there. He's given us his all, and we, in response, give our all to him. And so I hope that as Paul, as you've been exposed to this prayer in Paul, that you would say, you know what, man, I am after that. I want to be a part of a church that is committed to praying prayers like this for one another. I want to live my life in such a way that, that I am going to devote myself to prayer And I'm going to pray that God would work in such great and deep ways that the lives of my brothers and sisters and the people that I care about, their their lives are being given in maximum praise to God. And so if we would together as a church commit to praying this kind of prayer for one another. I just have full confidence in the faithfulness of God from beginning to the end that he will take us deeper and deeper into deeper measures of himself. And so would you during this Advent season pray in this kind of way for one another, for yourself, all that we might pursue a deeper spiritual life that is ultimately to the praise and glory of God. Let's pray together.